Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm very happy you joined us on our podcast today. We're actually completing a study in the Gospel of John called Behold Your God. We're going today to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, John 21. I'm calling this last episode Beach Life because this will be the third time the Lord Jesus Christ appears specifically to the disciples. And He sent them because He he told them to go to Galilee, that He would see them again in Galilee. And so they are there around the Sea of Galilee and the shore, the beach, and that's why I call this beach life. Well, let's go right to John chapter 21. I'm so excited about this, this episode today. It's been a great blessing to my heart and my life to prepare this, and I trust it will be a blessing to you as well. John 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise he showed himself. Now the Sea of Tiberias is what we we know of as the Sea of Galilee. And John begins to describe what occurred here, and this is actually a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that after he rose again, that he would see them in Galilee. So I believe they had made their way there, believing what Jesus had told them. Of course, he's already appeared to them before in the upper room with uh, the 11 disciples without Thomas present, and then again with Thomas present a week later, And this is the third time we'll see that he appears to them. Now, I want you to think about all of this this way before we get into the the meat of the 21st chapter of John. Jesus Christ has been crucified, killed, and certified to be dead by the Romans who were very good at killing He was placed in a tomb, and the third day, just as he had prophesied, he rose again victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And I want you to know, my friend, if you doubt the resurrection of Christ, then the body would still have been in that tomb. All the Jews would have had to have done, the Jewish religious leadership from the temple, all the Roman political leaders would have had to done, Pilate and the Roman soldiers, is just open the tomb and say, look, there's his body. He's not risen. He's still dead. And I can assure you that under the theory that some are uh, mistaken about, that if the disciples had stolen the body and said that he rose, that both the Jewish religious leadership and also the Roman military governor Pilate were fully capable of torturing them until they confessed to that and put an end to Christianity. But you know what? Nobody ever found the body of Jesus Christ. And the reason is he's risen. Duh, you know, come on, embrace the truth here. So Christ has conquered 
death, just as he prophesied he would. And he doesn't walk anymore in a, like he did in his earthly ministry with the disciples every day. They're not with him 24 hours a day, but he appears to them at certain points. And so this is the third time that he appears specifically to the disciples, uh, the 11, who would become the apostles of the church. So let's go to verse 2, and there's a principle here I want you to think about. Jesus shows up in everyday life. Verse 2, now we read here, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, or called the twin, so evidently he had a twin, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that would be John and James, and two other of his disciples. We do, know not, do not know which two those were, of course. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. And that word uh, phrase, Jesus stood on the shore, has the idea that he just appeared there. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now, I don't know if they did not know because they were about a hundred yards away, or there was mist from the sea and, and maybe the figure was hazy, or they could see him clearly, but he did not look exactly like he did in his earthly ministry. And I think that probably is a big part of this because Jesus was clearly Jesus, and yet he was definitively different. Now, we're not told what that was, but they knew not that it was Jesus, the Bible says. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, and this is the Greek word paidon, paidon, and it's the idea of, hey boys, have ye any meat? That is, uh, uh, what have you caught? <laughs> you know, fishermen hate to be asked that question because too often the fishermen have to say, well, we haven't caught anything yet. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, that would be John, of course, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord! Now when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. And this doesn't mean he was like we think of somebody being naked, but he didn't have his, his cloak on. He girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Now Peter, Peter can't wait to get to the shore, to the beach, to, to be with Jesus again. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, about 200 cubits. That's about 100 yards. Dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. 
Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes. Now, by the way, these weighted nets would have probably weighed about uh, 300 pounds, uh, certainly with a fish in them. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Now, let's stop right there at verse 11. Who are the disciples who are here? Let's do a roll call. There's Peter. There's Thomas. You know, we call him Doubting Thomas. He wasn't with the disciples that first night when Jesus appeared to them in the upper room. But he was there a week later, and he confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and God when he saw the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side. Nathaniel is there, who was from Galilee. He was from Cana in that area. Remember where the, the wedding was and Jesus turned the water into wine? And John and James were there because this was... This was where their father's fishing business was. So I think all of these right here were from that area and two others. Again, we don't know who they were. Maybe maybe one of them was Matthew. I, I don't know. Simon the Zealot. I don't know who it was. We don't know. But these, these that are mentioned right here, at least Peter, John, and James, they were familiar with all of this. And I think they went back here because Jesus told them to go, that he would appear to them in Galilee. And they are employed once again, at least temporarily. You know, they did obey Jesus and go back there, but I'm sure they had a lot of time on their hands. And remember, when they were walking with Jesus in his earthly ministry, people were contributing to the ministry of the Lord and so they always had food to eat and all of that. And of course, Jesus could miraculously produce that, like the feeding of the, the 5,000 uh, two times. So they never wanted for anything then. But now Jesus is not always with them every single hour of every single day. But they're waiting for him to appear. And for all I know, maybe they were hungry. Maybe they just wanted to fish again like they did in old times. And it sort of reminds me of this principle. When we're around the things we know, the life that we know, we have the attitude of, I can do this. I can handle this. Don't try to tell me what to do because I'm at home in this. And maybe that's how they felt. So they went out fishing and caught nothing. Boy, have we all been there many times. I remember once my father was a soldier. We went to Destin, Florida for a vacation. And my brother took a small uh, John boat, like, I don't know, like a 12-foot little aluminum fishing boat with one of his buddies. He was a teenager, and they took it out on the Gulf. I mean, they took it way out where my mom couldn't see him anymore. And my mom was so mad with my father. And yet they came back, and they had a catch of fish. It wasn't 153, but they had a nice string of, of uh, fish from the sea. And I can remember... I have it fished in the sea, but I can remember when I was a little boy, my father uh, with his uh, army buddy, our neighbor, R.J. McCollum, took us on his boat on the Chattahoochee. And I remember, uh, actually what I remember is I fell asleep because we were fishing at night, you know, with a lantern. 
And my father came and woke me up and told me I had a catfish on the line. And I jumped up from that boat and went out and man, there was that catfish. I still remember that like it happened last weekend. You know, we can always remember good times we've had when we fished and that kind of thing. Well, these guys were professional fishermen, at least Peter, James, and Johns were in the past. And, um, and among the others that were there, maybe one of them was Peter's brother, Andrew, because he was a fisherman too. So maybe there were four professional fishermen here. And they were fishing, and they had no catch. As Jesus called out, hey boys, what have you caught? And they hadn't caught anything. And that reminds me of a principle here. Here's a principle of beach life, you know, that they're discovering right here on the, the beach, the shore of Galilee with the resurrected Christ. Everything is easier when the sun, S-O-N, when the sun appears. You see, they had done everything they could do in human effort and using human methods, and they had failed. Jesus is teaching them a lesson here that they will never forget because he had called them to be even more than fishers of fish, but to be fishers of men, right? And so they they follow this, uh, at the moment at least, this stranger's direction to cast on the right side, and they brought in a huge catch of fish. And that reminds us that when when the sun appears, when God's involved, and there's divine blessing on even on human methods, that the divinely miraculous happens. They counted, and by the way, every single fisherman always knows how many fish he's caught. And a lot of times he knows the length and weight of those fish. And John can remember back all those years before because as John wrote the last gospel, uh, late, I, I think my dates are right, in the 90s AD, this would have been about 60 years prior, 55 to 60 years prior. John can remember exactly there were 153, not small fish, large fish, great fishes in that that net. Man, what an amazing thing happened. You see, when, when the sun appears, great miraculous things happen. And we see here that when God guides, God provides. Now, what if they'd have said, well, we don't want to cast the net on the right side. We fished this whole Sea of Galilee and there's no fish to be caught. What if they'd have said that? They would have missed the miraculous. But they did what this person on the shore said, and they had this great, great catch. And they hauled that back to the back to the shore, back to the beach at the Sea of Galilee. But I want to show you something here. You remember back in Luke chapter 5, this same thing had already happened when Jesus told them where to cast the net and they, they argued with him then, remember that? But nevertheless, okay, we're going to go ahead and do it. And they were stunned with what happened. But in Luke 5, which was would have been probably about three years before this, the net just about broke and the, the boat was just about swamped with water. Here, the net's not broken and the boat is not swamped. And they bring in this huge catch of 153 fish. You see, 
God, when he when we let him get involved with what we're doing and and we allow him to give the direction, great things happen. It's not so much about the methods we use, it's about the master that we obey. This past week, I had to uh, deal in my course of duties with a someone that I've dealt with before who's somewhat difficult. And I just had gotten to the point where I dread dealing with them. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, I just need favor. I need, you know, either this person not be there when I go or, or, or you know, they're there, but it's just, there's no problem. I could not believe it, my friends, when, you know, 15 minutes later, I encounter this person and they were the nicest to me that they've ever been. And they didn't even bring up some of the things they always complain about. I couldn't believe it. I was kind of like, wow, how hard do we make life, even as believers in Christ, when we try to do things in our own effort, when so often we fail to pray about those things and let the Lord, you know, make a way where there is no way. I mean, that was a lesson to me. So, so we see here that They've caught the fish. They've hauled them up to the land. Now, Jesus says a very interesting thing here to me in in verse 12 of chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. You see, I don't know when he had the coals and the fish and the bread ready. Maybe when he called to them, I don't know. Maybe they couldn't see that. But uh, I believe miraculously he had that ready before they ever even cast the net on the right side of the boat. He already had what they needed. But he let them catch that great catch anyway. And... When they come up, he he is serving them. Now I want to tell you, friends, you would think that if somebody had just been crucified, buried, and resurrected, and they were now proven to be God, king of the universe and everything, that there isn't anything outside the universe. There's, they're just God, all right? He's total victor, Lord and king. You would think, he would order them to serve him. But he didn't do that. That's not, that's not Jesus, amen? Jesus said to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst or dared ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. And of course, he had uh, invited them to include the, the fish they had caught. So, the Lord is serving them and, and He uses some of their catch for this wonderful breakfast on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. But now we're going to go to a second principle of beach life here. And it's everything is easier when the Son approves. Look at verse 13. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples 
after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I think he meant maybe motioning to the other disciples. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Now I want to show you something from the Greek. Now I don't want to get too technical here, but I want you to see what's happening. In Greek, Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you, do you have an agapeo love for me, a servant sacrificial love that, that loves because it loves and does, does sacrificial service for the one love, that, you know, God's kind of love. Peter, do you have that kind of love for me, Simon? And Peter answers back, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo thee. He uses the Greek word like the, the love of friendship, a brotherly type love. Yeah, we're friends. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. I think Peter's dodging something here, don't you? And I think the Lord is getting at something here. So he tells him here, even though he was a deeply embarrassed disciple because he, he not only had deserted like they all had, but he had denied the Lord. How many times? Three times. And yet the Lord here is restoring Peter because Peter is always mentioned first in every list of the disciples. For whatever reason, and it's a perfect choice, Jesus chose Peter to be the leaders of the disciples, the apostles. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Again, the same thing. Agapeo, do you have a God kind of love for me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Peter again doesn't use the same word for love that Jesus had just asked him. And he says again, phileo, that, that brotherly type love. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. So he's, he's saying even a second time, you're going to be in charge of this. You take care of my sheep. Not only, obviously, the, the apostles, but the church that was about to be born. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now here, Jesus uses the word that Peter had kept on using, phileo. Do you have even a brotherly love for me? Some have suggested that Peter was asking, uh, rather Jesus was asking Peter, Peter, do you even have a brotherly love for me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? Do you have phileo love for me? And he said unto him, Lord, 
uh, lost my place there. I'm so sorry. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee, that I have that brotherly love for thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself. That is, he put, put on his clothes and went wherever he wanted to go. And verily, verily, I said to thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto, unto him, Follow me. So a principle of beach life that we see here is everything is easier when the sun approves that is, when we get our assignments from Him and they meet His approval because we're following what He says. You see, we, we have here a Peter problem. Peter had the problem, and we do too. The Peter problem. Here, here's what I think it is. We want to do our thing, and we want to play it safe. We want to make sure we guard that 401k we want to make sure that we never take a stand that causes us trouble. And that's the Peter problem. We, we want to do our thing. Even if we think we're doing God's thing, we want to do our thing. We want to do it our way. I can handle this. And uh, God, don't try to tell me what to do. But you see here, God, which is Jesus Christ, tells Peter, I want you to do God's thing not your thing. And Peter, you're going to do it, and it's actually going to lead to crucifixion. Now we know from church history that Peter was crucified, but he felt unworthy to be crucified in the same way that Christ was, and he asked to be crucified upside down. And the church father, Jerome, verifies this. So he died under the reign of Nero in the early 60s, about the same time, roughly, that the Apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome. Now, I don't know where Peter died. Tradition says Rome, but we're not getting into that. But Peter is told here, Peter, your problem is you want to do your thing, and I'm calling you to do God's thing, shepherd my sheep, shepherd my lambs, feed them, do God's thing. And in doing so, you will end up dying by crucifixion. And that's exactly how Peter died. Now, let's go back to verse uh, 19. I want to emphasize this again. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Verse 20. Here we see the Peter problem coming out again. Then Peter, turning about, 
seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Now, we know this was the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John. Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Uh, Basically, what about him? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? So what we see here is another side of this coin, the Peter problem. You see, not only do we struggle with trying to not do our thing, but to do God's thing, you know, the right way, but we also struggle sometimes with trying to do God's job. Now I'm here to tell you, friends, God does not need my help nor yours in getting done what he wants done. And yet we, we try to play God sometimes, which is really stupid. But we all do that if we're believers. And it's a big mistake. Because Peter turns around and he says, sort of like, okay, you know, I mean, that was a you know, pretty heavy thing to be told. Uh, not only are you going to be the leader of this whole thing on earth, but uh, you will die by crucifixion. And you know, I think Peter, he embraced it, but it's sort of like, wow. And he sees John, and he says, well, what about him? (coughs) Excuse me. And Jesus tries to get Peter to understand, Peter, you just need to do your job. So when we're tempted to do God's job, let's just do our job, right? In the Greek, it's in the present imperative tense, meaning you follow me. And it means literally you. It's just emphatic there. Like he's not looking at everybody. He looks right at Peter, I believe. It says, you keep on following me. You know, don't worry about John. It's not your job to get everybody else lined up. You follow me. And that's a great principle. Everything is easier when the Son approves. And as we saw earlier, everything is easier when the Son appears. And I hope that as you think about this, you will realize what John goes on to say here. So let's let's conclude this 21st chapter of John and thus the entire Gospel of John. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things. In other words, John is here openly revealing that he wrote the Gospel of John. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself 
could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Some people might object to what John said there. Like literally, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Well, it's hyperbole. And it's obviously hyperbole. So that's how we read it. It's sort of like I saw a little shirt yesterday at uh, somewhere, uh, some store I was in, a restaurant or something. And it said, I love you to the moon and back. Now, when we say that to somebody, <laughs> we're not talking in terms of how many tens or hundreds of thousands of miles or whatever it is to the moon and back. We mean we just, you know, you can't measure our love for that person, right? What John here is using hyperbole, and it's obviously that, so we're reading it correctly that way. But it's interesting to me that of all the miracles and and teachings of Christ and things that he did, mainly the things that he did, I think is what John is talking about. We're not missing any of the teachings. But the, the, the miracles that Jesus did, they're not all written down. And John just says, you just, you know, there's no way to even contain everything that could be written. Did you know that, uh, I read once, and this has been about 40 years ago, but since Lincoln's assassination to the time that, the, that what I was reading was written, there have been about 5,000 books written about Abraham Lincoln. And I, I bet in the 40 years since then, it's probably double that. And that's just one president, one historical figure who never did a miracle, right? So John is saying here, there'd just be no end to what could be written about what Jesus did and who he is. But John says, this is the truth and I'm signing it. Now, I want you to realize that something happened that transformed these men, all of whom went with the gospel across the world of their day. And, and uh, 10 of the 11 died martyrs' deaths. And even Fox's Book of Martyrs cites a story from the early church that John himself was condemned to death by the whoever the current Caesar was and was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil, but it did not kill him. And when they couldn't kill him, they I guess they imprisoned him on the island of Patmos. Even John was willing to die a martyr's death. But the Lord had more work for him to do because on that island of Patmos, John wrote the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ and he also wrote the Gospel of John later in life. I don't know if it was before or after that. I think before that. But he had more work to do even at a very advanced age. But something happened that changed them because in the earthly ministry of Christ, they were completely dependent on Christ. They were helpless without him. They deserted him in the garden. Peter denied him three times before he was condemned to be crucified. There weren't apparently very many of them at the crucifixion. John was there, of course. 
and maybe others watch from a distance. But and, and then we find on on the night, the first night that the Lord appeared to them on the day of the resurrection, that evening, they were in a locked room hiding from the Jewish religious leaders because they were probably next. And yet these men were all willing to die for their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, many people in world history have believed something uh, that wasn't true and died. But I can't think of anybody that knew something was a lie and they were willing to die for it. These men had every reason to really be certain and sure that what they believed about Jesus Christ was real. And they knew what was the truth. They had seen Him, touched Him, heard Him, and ate at least two meals that we know of with Him after His resurrection over that 40-day period. And then if you read into the book of Acts, where the Lord continues His work through the church after the resurrection, you see that these men are completely transformed. They're completely changed. They're not afraid of anybody or anything anymore. Because let's face it, friends, if you are the the part of the kingdom of the king who has conquered death, what is there to be afraid of, right? And Jesus Christ, John is telling us here, Jesus Christ is alive and He's going to return. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, uh, let's, let's even go there very quickly. Let me show you how sure they are of all of this. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that is, after his death, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which a father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he has spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So they knew all of this was true, and they were willing even to die for the truth that Jesus Christ is resurrected, he is ascended, and he is returning again. Again, I'm so happy that you've been with us through this series in the Gospel of John. My prayer for you is if you are not yet a Christian, that you've come face to face with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will trust Him as your Savior and Lord. If you are already a believer, I pray that you have been strengthened in your faith in Christ and in your walk with Christ. If you need help for either, either case, I want to give you a number that you can call to speak with someone who can give you counsel and literature to help you become a Christian or to grow as a Christian. I'm going to say it twice. 888-537-8720 Call that number during normal business hours, Eastern Time. Central Time, like I'm assuming from 8 to 5 p.m., and someone will help you. If you have a question about the Christian life or what we've taught, you can email me at pastoredhill at gmail.com. Well, again, help us spread the word. Tell other people how to find this. It's at www.dredhill.podbean.com. There's no period after the DR. That is the home of This Week in the Word. I thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new series and continue growing in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. God bless you is my prayer.